unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time, our dear Ramblers, we are travelling back to 1991 to take a look at the Tony Scott and Joel Silver joint that is The Last Boy Scout. Featuring Bruce Willis, Damon Wayans and a bunch of other hot character actors of the time, I think you could say. This is a film that means a lot to us, does it not, George? It is a, a a classic of the late eighties, early nineties. It's it's Brucey at the height of his fame. Uh, I wouldn't say this film means a lot to me, but we'll get into that. I think we are going to get into that, and because it's ninety one, I think what you can already see, ladies and gentlemen, is that George and I were in very different places in nineteen ninety one. So this film does actually mean a lot to me. Okay, so we're, we're going to get into that, mm. but this is uh, it's retro ramble. You know what to expect. If you've listened before, if you've not listened before, what can people expect? We're two brothers. We're catching up on the films of our youth, George. There's going to be some swearing. What else does a first-time listener need to know? Uh, it's a light-hearted review at, at the films we grew up with. Uh, so we're going into these films in detail. So there will be spoilers from the very off. Part of that light-hearted nature, we're going to have some fun. There'll probably be some bad impressions, uh, some mild, childish language um that's about it really okay so we got as we mentioned it's a tony scott film uh, a great director who gave us top gun true romance and a whole lot of other stuff it's joel silver who comes up a lot in this podcast because joel silver is responsible for a lot of our childhood memories and action jackson just we just covered that on the patreon episode so I feel like we've done a quite a bit of funny enjoyable patreon episodes over the summer so it's good to be back on the usual monthly retro ramble. So, George, are you ready with the trailer? I am. a private detective who's run out of luck. If you touch me again, I'll kill you. <laughs> two for two. Told you. Jimmy Dix. I like Bricks. Oh! Is an ex-quarterback who was thrown out of football. Another tragic tale of wasted youth. You're nobody. Shh. Don't tell anyone. They were trying to clean up their acts. You reckon I'll dust When they got dragged into the dirty world of sports corruption. So you're going to bribe some senators to legalize gambling? Legalize sports gambling. Now. Son, we're going to a ball game. They've got one shot. What am I going to do? Point at the bad guys and shoot! To get the goods. On the bad guys. This once, I would like to hear you scream. Play some rap music. 
by Geffen Pictures. Geffen, also the record label behind Guns N' Roses for all you GNR fans out there. Fact fans. So, yeah, George, I don't know about you, but I think where we need to start, especially considering you know, the the tone you used in the intro is is our first memories of this film, because for me, this is a big film. This, this is a film that I felt like, uh, for me, I didn't see it at the cinema, but I almost felt like it was a cinematic film. It was the, one of the most cinematic films I saw in VHS because I I remember it as being, it was after all the 80s films, but it was kind of like a celebration of that. But with, obviously we're going to touch on it in this episode, the script, the jokes, the one-liners. And they almost distract you from the unfiltered misogyny and ridiculous other stuff that's going on in this film. I'm just waiting for the next line in parts. But how? What? What's? What are your memories about this? Because for me, I, I'm like, I love this film. I I have this on like a rewatch with all the other films that's linked with. Like, I actually do. I would put it in the same basket as Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, Beverly Hills Cop. I would. I think it's that level of action film. Yeah, uh, it's a weird one for me. I my memories of it are, are I remember watching it in bits, like you know, in typical sort of fashion, you know, being round at someone's house and seeing like you know the last half hour or the middle half hour or something like that. So, I my memories of it are watching it in bits, and for some reason, I have my lasting memory of it. I remember it looking, I mean, it's probably just the quality of the recording, but I just remember it looking like a cheap TV movie, which is, is unfair. It's a disservice to Tony Scott because obviously he's a fantastic visual director. And this time round, I did appreciate, you know, it is quite, a, you know, he, he never makes a, a boring looking film, but yeah, I don't know. It might've just been, the the recording of tv but it just and it might be an, an old tape but it just wasn't the best sort of first impression and i think it probably wasn't until and i remember everyone quoting you know it is very quotable and i remember like you know the lines you know like touch me again i'll kill you and and stuff like that and i do remember it has got some very dare i say iconic moments very memorable moments but yeah for, for some reason um I just don't have a fondness for this film as much as I, th- I see it as uh, I'm sort of jumping right into the end, but I don't ha- have a fondness for it as much as I do as uh, in terms of Shane Black's work, in terms of Brucey's work. It's I'd say it's mid-tier Brucey and it's kind of mid-tier Tony Scott. I think they've all collectively done done better films. I think there's there's a lot to enjoy in this, you know, and I watched it the the other night for the first time in in good for years I, probably, I remember watching it uh at uni um and enjoying it but yeah it's it's not something i go back to as often as 
Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, and yeah, and the likes of that. Because when when was Lethal Weapon three? Was that I want to say that was like ninety five or was it late ninety three? I think. Yeah, so that's what I mean. I feel similar like... time, similar time. Yeah, but I, that's I feel like when we were at that point, like ninety three, they'd obviously it was, you know, further down the line. But I felt for me. This was a celebration of Brucey. It was like, do you did you like it? It is that sort of pitch. It's like, did you like Bruce Willis and Die Hard? Yes. Do you like Lethal Weapon? Yes. Do you like Shane Black's you know script? Yes. Yeah. Then you're gonna love this film. Um, what took me out of it going back this time was the misogyny and I just the smoke smoke. Yeah. Um, so there's I... all of that, but I think what I what I thought stuck out to me this time was Tony Scott's production values plus the fact I felt like what he was trying to do and this is only this time I didn't get this when I was younger I think I think I agree with you when I was younger this past aspire is a completely passable enjoyable don't regret renting it type VHS you know mm. um whereas now going back to I see it with more slightly adult wiser eyes and I'm like they were trying to keep the keep the party going in terms of the 80s actioner but throwing in a higher level script or putting more more time and effort into the script yeah there's a lot of factors i mean should we should we get into production chat now let's 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 jump into the retro yet very modern car and just drive down a cliff to production chat swimming pool (laughs) um so yeah you'd think with with those four key players you know um, a Joel Silver picture, and as as we've touched on, you know, this is the man that gave us uh, produced Predator, Lethal Weapon, um, the Matrix series, um, Action Jackson. You know, he's a Demolition Man. You know, he's he's a renowned action director. Um, Tony Scott, you know, great action director. Was he a Top Gun? Uh, you know, did loads of Bruckheimer films, Beverly Hills Cop Two, Crimson Tide, Trans. True romance, obviously. Bruce Willis, you know, uh, needs no introduction, and Shane Black. So for those who aren't aware, or if you haven't listened to um, previous episodes of Retro Amber, so Shane Black is, well, started off as a legendary screenwriter and a a bit part actor. So he was... Hawkins? Hawkins, yeah, the geeky guy in Predator. But uh, he made his, his living as a very quick rising star screenwriter pretty, pretty much under the sort of mentorship of producer Joel Silver. So he wrote Lethal Weapon, I think around 21 years old. Uh, you can go back to our episode and listen, you know, for, for more info on that. But yeah, he was a very talented scriptwriter, rose through Hollywood very quickly. I think with Lethal Weapon 2, he became a little bit um, disillusioned because he he th- thought he was untouchable, but then they brought somebody else in to rewrite his script on Lethal Weapon 2. And round about this time, sort of uh, early, or like late 80s, early 90s, he was in a bit of a funk. He'd split up with his partner at the time um, and he channeled in that sort of <laughs> disillusionment and unhappiness into this script. And when he put it onto market... He was still a hot name, so um, it got this into last bit... boy scout you're talking about. Yeah, so so that got... kind of explains the misogyny and hate hate of women type vibe. Yes, yes, yeah. I was going to say it kind of makes sense. 
Um, so yeah, he uh, ended up selling it to Joel Silver for at the time a record-breaking 1.75 million. Uh, despite Sony offering two million for it, obviously he'd had a relationship with Joel Silver. The man had given him his big break, so he's like, "No, I want to work with Joel again." And yeah, I say it was it was record-breaking for a script to go that high. The budget was forty million, which was relatively high for its time. But I think T two was the same year, and that became the record breaker for the the most expensive film ever made at, at that time. But there was a lot of pressure on this film because there was the momentum of Brucey. So obviously, by this point, he'd done Die Hard and Die Hard Two. He had also made another a film that we've got lined up on our retro ramble revelations was Hudson Hawk. A film we've not a film we've not seen. Sorry, a, what was a, that? A Hudson Hawk. So a film right. we've not seen, but that was a massive flop, and that was a Bruce Willis Joel Silver production. So they were keen to you know get their careers back on track and have a hit. So that's why a lot of money was thrown at it. They had the the you know the Shane Black script. And they ended up hiring, you know, who's a reliable action director? Tony Scott. <laughs> Sadly, um, because you had lots of strong personalities, everyone hated working on this film. And apparently it was an absolute disaster behind the scenes. Well, I mean, can I can I just pick up on that? Because, like, obviously, I have a lot of love for this film. I think I think my love of this film is it's like a nostalgic victory lap so it's it's what i was saying to you before it's like you like die hard you like bruce willis you like shave rack scripts you like all of that imagine a film where none of the film makes sense but you've got all of that it's like when you were listening all the royalty involved tony scott joel silver bruce willis um even damon wayne's doing a good performance a young Halle berry and a bunch of other character actors we've all seen before or maybe we've only seen them in this film but like the fact that they all came together and what we got was okay you know, like I remember yeah. this film for being just being funny. I think this film is funnier than it. It has more laugh out loud, jokey moments, and better writing than Lethal Weapon. And I was and Die Hard, but Die Hard's not that type of film. But you know, like it's up there with Beverly Hills Cop for me in terms of its comedy. But there's a lot of problems with it, so it's not as good as those films. I just want to. So I hear yeah. what you're saying. It's like there was so much talent involved. So the fact you're telling me that there was fighting behind the scenes doesn't surprise me because it's a bit of a mess. Yeah, apparently this is from uh, the one of the assistant directors was, I think he was on a podcast recently, uh, James W. Uh, Scotch Depole. I think that's how you pronounce it. But one of the assistant directors basically came out and said... Pronounce it. He described it as an overabundance of alpha males on the project. And he said... Bruce was at the height of his stardom, so was Joel, so was Tony, and so was Shane. There was a lot of people who had a lot of opinions about what to do. There was some heated early 90s testosterone-charged personalities on the line. It was a a charged environment, shall we say. So, yeah, I think, you know, obviously Bruce Willis has a bit of a a reputation for being difficult and i think this was brucey at the height of his fame you know he's off on the back of you know two two diehards and i think he's starting to throw his weight around a bit you know behind I think the scenes he made quite a few other films wasn't he he was really starting to make films at this point wasn't he? yeah this is like, he was... because every anything you want to say about bruce willis is he put out an enormous volume of films and later on in his career he didn't stop even if the quality 
dipped. He was like, no, um, he was. He's he's a two two films a year type of guy, wasn't he? Well, in his later later years, he was doing I think about <laughs> felt like ten movies a year. But I think that was they were saying a lot of that was he was you know tr- trying to create a bit of a pension because of his ill health. He was just trying to bring the money in. Um, but yeah, I think this film for me is um i think i do appreciate it more now i've seen like yeah obviously um so shane black was just a script writer um but he's now gone on to you know he made his directorial debut with kiss kiss bang bang i think that was 2006 and then he's done uh iron man 3 which was you know i think the first billion dollar marvel film um and he's done the nice guys, which Charlie and I have talked about our love for in the past. Um, and he's also done the predator, which Charlie and I have uh, shared our hatred about in the past. But he mostly he is a very reliable director when it comes to the 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 buddy, the mismatched buddy sort of dynamic. Um, and I think my appreciation of films like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and the Nice Guys, going back and watching this, I do appreciate there is some great uh writing and he is very good at that homage to you know um film noir and those sort of like the the washed up you know schlubby private detective and i've read a lot of private detective novels whilst he was sort of wallowing in his self-loathing uh for this and and then he would go back to and revisit those old sort of pulpy noir books for kiss kiss bang bang and even the nice guy so it is his sweet spot, I think. And Brucey, let's let's be honest, Brucey does it with his hands tied behind his back, that weary, washed up, sardonic anti-hero. He does it brilliantly. I think I wrote in my I did make a note of this. It's like I think, or I think it it was totally conceivable, is that the last Boy Scout is basically a fever dream that John McClane is having when he's knocked out by Hans Gruber's brother or do you know what I mean? Because he's exactly, he's almost when he's got the guns and he's going in slow motion and the the guns are making the the same noises that they only do in films involving Bruce Willis shooting and Joel Joel Silver. That amazing noise. That's why I'm saying it's cinematic. Uh, And, and he is, he's like the look on his face. George recently shared with me the amazing work, which you should check out listeners on YouTube of, is it Die Hard 12? Where, it's Ben Stiller oh, yeah. doing, doing his amazing Ben uh, Bruce Willis impression. And he's doing all the squinty-eyed stuff. It's like Brucey at his best. I think I hit pause yesterday and he's lying on the floor and he's got a revolver in one hand and a shotgun in one hand and a 150% Bruce Willis look on his face. Because obviously it's Bruce Willis, but he's, you know, you know the face I'm talking about. Yeah. He's like, I'm gonna, you know. So that's why for me i don't know if you got it this time going around but like for me going back to this film like i danced through this film um i had a lot of problems with my devices trying to watch it devices arguing with each other running out of battery blah 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 so i actually got cut in the middle and i was like i need to keep watching i wanted to keep watching and uh i think i got on my computer and continued watching type thing because i don't know i this retro ramble podcast a lot of it is about nostalgia and there is a lot there's a lot of the nostalgia that retro ramble is all about in this film a lot of it doesn't work uh we are talking about 
gamble legalizing gambling in American football, which how do you make a plot out of that? It seems it seems like you could have thrown nukes and world threat like uh, really big threats into this, and it seems such a small idea. Well, I was gonna say, because we're so I mean, I'm I'm Mission not, Impossible, anybody. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say I, I'm not I'm not much of a, a sports guy, but you know, considering how bamboozled we are in in uk environment by like gambling sports gambling and you know all these ads when whenever i the the rare times i do watch things like football and it's half time and you're bombarded by ray winston's floating head going oh go on spend some money what's the worst that could happen yeah you know and i'm just like so yeah it, it feels like i agree it feels like a very quaint idea and it feels like surely there's there's more of a you know a cover-up than this surely like you know the evil senator's got something you know he's covering up something else but, say, um, when is he gonna launch the nukes or poison the water supply of california no i'm just gonna legalize gambling yeah <laughs> for well, six million I, for six million <laughs> well apparently the it's quite funny considering they paid you know a record amount for the script because shane black uh it has admitted in in uh recent years that it's the most rewriting he did on one of his scripts than than any others and apparently changed a lot. And again, this goes back to, I think, uh, Bruce Willis's ego because Shane Black was saying there was tremendous pressure from the studio to get Bruce Willis and have a follow-up to Die Hard. But Bruce Willis was re- reluctant because he was just like, this whole movie is about me saving my wife. I've just done that twice in Die Hard. So originally in, in the original script, uh, Joe Hollenbach's wife was a much bigger role in it. And much more active in it all the way through, but to make it less less like Die Hard, they've obviously made that role of the the wife smaller. And as you say, if anything, that's made it more problematic because she, you know, it is very uh, misogynistic. Um, and they pretty much changed the the like the second half of the the film. Apparently, there was going to be like boat chase it was more about that corrupt senator and his son um and things like that so it's uh and there was a lot more about the the evil villain milo is it milo yeah who's the guy who's in it is brilliant in this but he seems to just crop up halfway through it's like hello joseph and you're like this guy's brilliant where did he come from well especially since we it's like i think because I only watched this yesterday. I only finished this yesterday. I started the other day. Um, the, there's four other goon standoffs. There's a lot of that. goons before so you get the, that, yeah. And like, I don't know about you, because I think we've become accustomed to now when we rewatch these films, is that like we know what's going to happen. We know what's going to go. We're actually looking out for character actors that we might have missed the first time around when we were younger. And that's because they were character actors. Whereas now I'm looking for the guy that Bruce kill Bruce Willis kills with one punch. And I'm looking for this guy who uses full names to address people. Milo great bad yeah. guy. And yeah, it really stuck out this time. I was like, there is, there's the bit where they come, where there's the bit, they smack him on the head. You know, the first meeting with the goons before Corey gets killed. Then there's another meeting with the goons. Then the goons catch up with uh, Damon Waynes, you know, so and then there's another thing. And then they introduce Milo. So it is like he could have been introduced earlier. And the, but now you, now we're starting to pick it apart. I do get the feeling that there's personalities, animosity going on, but 
I don't know. Watching this recently, just the last watch of this, I got carried along by the banter. Like, um, oh no, no, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, it's like I think this is a great lesson in it shows why a good script is so important, and I think it's worth every penny because. There's a really shitty scene, that one I was talking about, where Damon Wayans is taken by those guys, they throw him on a car, and then they just walk away, even though they can see he's survived. It's yeah. not really well shot. But the first line, they're about the kicking the shit out, and he's like, hold on a minute, I can't decide which one of you looks most like my dick. And it's just <laughs> like, it just stuck in my head, like you were talking about, hit me again, and everything in this. It's it's foul-mouthed, the, the scenes with the daughter are a bit, did did we really need to teach a girl that young all of those naughty words? Yeah, but I, I've got um, what have I, what am I calling it? Uh, the blackout drinking game. It's sort of like self loathing chain smoking lead check, fearless <laughs> sassy child character check, check. Yeah, Christmas reference check. You um, ruined your life, didn't you? Check. Y- yeah, I was. I wanted to ask you about the Christmas thing because apparently. I was saying to you before, this was a big move. This when I I can remember watching this on VHS and regretting not seeing it at the cinema because I'm talking about that Joel Silver explosion gunshot sound. It's like it cut and with Tony Scott, it came across really cinematic. I was like, why didn't I see the cinema? And doing a bit of research, this was a Christmas film that flopped that and shot in LA. It's difficult to convince people that it's a Christmas film in LA and well, outside of that I, reference I, I, to, I, I, I to Satan Claus, do you, do you, is there any other reference to? But no, but this is, I'm getting to, I'm eventually getting to my point. Iron Sorry. Man 3, again, it's Christmas. Is it like if you're making a Christmas film, put some effort into it. If you're making a Christmas film in LA, you know, it's like, it just reminds me of watching Neighbours when we were teenagers. It's like, it's Christmas in Australia. There's no snow. It doesn't look yeah. like Christmas. I get it. I get it in LA that it's not, there's not going to be snow falling, but like at least put some effort into it because there's Satan clause. And I think that's the only reference that's made. And this is a film that came out at Christmas. So it bombed for that reasons. But I think to summarize my positivity about this film is it's got, it reminds me of all those other films. (laughs) Well, if you think about, I I think that obviously, you know, it might be also the, the difference in our opinion and we're completely allowed to have a difference of opinion on this podcast. Charlie and I don't always agree with everything, but it might have just been because age-wise, you know, you're 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 four years older. You might have just been in that zeitgeist swept up the moment. Whereas in '91, I was probably still obsessing over Batman and probably a little bit of of Terminator Two. So they were my sort of main focuses in life uh, at that time. Uh, and I probably didn't. I say. I didn't properly watch this maybe till sort of later in the nineties. Yeah. I I think because of the age difference, it it is significant. It's four years. And I think to split our listeners down the middle, I'm more in the camp that these, I, I think you probably look at these films a bit more tongue in cheek. I I think because you, you arrived at them when the period was slightly more over. And I was like, I would say I was 11 when this came out, you know? Yeah. So like, I, this is my, I still in my mind's eye, I have an 11 year old's appearance. Whereas I think you probably picked this up when you were like, maybe like when it had passed, first of mm. all, and you were older. So you were like, and you were studying film. So you were like, okay, yeah, it's great script, but uh, it's uh, it's this, it's that, you know? Whereas I was still 11 
explosions, car chases, boobs. I was like, yeah. sold, sold, sold. So I think it's it's, we... it's it's weird though. But you look back though, and and you look at other films like that. I've I I do that came out on the same time. I say T two. Obviously, Terminator two is is in a you know a you know, it's one of my favorite films. And it's one of the best films ever made. It's one of the best sci-fi films ever made. And then there was obviously Point Break, same year, 91. And for some reason, you know, I have, you know, a lot of love for that film. So it's funny how certain films stick with you from different eras, probably for different reasons. That's, I suppose that's just the power of nostalgia, baby. Yeah, I, th- I think there's there's something going on in Point Break that it, that was so far away. You know, it's like um, Point Break's so there's original. A, there's that, and also, I mean, just to quickly dip into the the Point Break rabbit hole is like in this. There's like there's rain. It's American football, and they are taking the piss out of uh, American football. By the way, at the beginning, I didn't get that the first watch. Don't know if you did. What the, the it's whole an, it's, it's, big song about an, football. Yeah, it's an entire satire on how ridiculous the type, what you and I have had to put up with, what Sky Sports has to do every freaking year, is the season's coming, let's make it sexy, let's make it big, let's put on a show, let's show people that it's a big deal, rather than just, okay, the teams are coming out. You know, there's that. But it is satire, apparently, at the start right. of this film. Um, but it's... There's, it's Whereas what you see in Point Break is you see gorgeous Keanu Reeves and... Gorgeous. Not Laurie Patrick Petty. Persuasive. Patrick persuade me. Um and an amazing plot and so original. And I, I don't know. I don't know. That 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 film's extra special. I'd mm. but I would take point break and I would put that above, you know, like there's the diehards, there's Lethal Weapons, the Beverly Hills Cup. Because they're cop film villain things, they go into a certain thing. Whereas point break feels in a different section somewhere. Mm. Um I mean, I do have one question. Let's let's get into sort of general sort of film notes. Um, it's a great opening that that football game, and it's very memorable. Um, I don't remember it, uh, there being that many homicides. I just remember the footballer like killing himself at the end. I don't remember him shooting loads of people as he's going to s- score the touchdown. But my first question I was going to have, I mean, and maybe it's probably just because it's a Tony Scott film. If it's raining that hard, would they not call off the game? It seems like comically like biblical, the amount of rain that you've got. I think to answer your question, this entire scene is biblical. And um, considering in Act 3, Milo's in an enlightened position, lights are exploding, they're everywhere. This has got to be one of the darkest, most poorly lit stadiums I've ever seen. So, like, whenever there's something happening, the actor—it's—it's like it's dramatic license one hundred and one. But like, it's, it's pure Tony Scott, isn't it? It's yeah, pure Tony it's Scott. Beautiful Tony Scott. It is. It's like um, I was just—I think because this is the difference between George and I. George can take a uh, an expert eye to a film, going, "Yeah, that kind of doesn't make sense." Whereas I will get washed away. Give me a good soundtrack and some snappy lines. And some smoke and mirrors, and that's what this film has a lot of. It has well, a lot Tony, of Tony loves a bit of smoke and mirrors. <laughs> exactly. So I think I was carried away, but even this time I was like, well, you guys don't really like women. Shut up. <laughs> but his wife, his wife is a strong female character. His wife cheats on him with, with his, his best friend. With his best friend, who he who then dies. And at the end he says, What does he say to her? 
I'd spit on you, but the police are around. Yeah, so yeah, there's, you... there's a very interesting portrayal of women in this film. Um, they either die or they are they're broken somehow. But uh, so what were we talking about? Yeah, so opening scene. Um, so he's got the. I just love that it's like you have to do. Who is he talking to? It's Milo. It's because it, he says like he, he calls but him by what? his phone. It's to, it's about the game. Yeah, is that, is that what it's about? It's about it's about. Well, but, I think why, it's... but I'm like, but why? Because I know that the there's a lot of money a... riding on him. I think. No, I think but he has I know, to... but... It's sort of like throw. It's a bit like the boxer, you know, not throwing the fight. It's like, yeah, you have to win this. No, no, I get it. It's match fixing. I get it. It's that, but it's like it's not part of the grander plot. Which no, it's not. Which is like Reynard or Baynard or whatever his name is who gets hit in the face. Uh, It's not about like convincing that senator to legalize gambling because I mean, as you were just saying about. Imagine betting shots every 20 yards on British high streets. Um, like, I mean, what could possibly go wrong? This was actually when it happened that it's fun to imagine a world that before legalized gambling, as Bruce highlights at the end, it was all run by the fucking mob and it would have been the same in the UK, you know? So um, it's, it's, so what, what was Milo's play? It was like, you've got to throw this game. You've got to. No, I think he's going to win it. And that's why it's sort of like, well, I'll just shoot shouldn't everyone. Other, shouldn't it be the other way around? It's like you should throw that it would make more sense because that's what um, I can't remember the football of the keeper, uh, the Liverpool keeper that got done for match fixing. But it was like they weren't stupid. They were like, uh, yeah, Bruce Collar. Yeah, they were much clever. They were like, so just let the goals in. They weren't like, yeah. Talking to strikers going, you need to put seven in. They were like, uh, could you just let some in? And that's why this stuck out to me. I was like, wouldn't it be easier instead of shooting people to just be really shit? You to know? drop the ball. Exactly. <laughs> give it give the ball to the opposition in the last 10 minutes type thing. So, but that is, um, we, we've talked about it before on the podcast a few times. Tony Scott made his mark in music videos and the idea and, of uh, and, and TV commercials and TV commercials and the idea of an American footballer to shooting people to score a try is somewhere in the dream, the cheese dream world of TV commercials and music videos of, of the early nineties. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, just jumping to that next scene with, uh, with Brucey discovering his cheating wife. I do love the, the brutal black dialogue of, how long have we been friends, Joe? I'd say until you started fucking my wife. <laughs> yeah. Um, for, with for uh, me, Br- Bruce McGill, he's one of the he's one of those character actors that we love to crop up in films. Time, Time Cop-, Cop is is for me. If I've got my character acting things lined up, probably his biggest role in terms of his character acting. Put, put, I mean, he's probably he's probably been a lead in some films that you and I've never watched. Well, I say but... Bruce Bruce McGill as like constantly turning up in films he's i mean he's been in everything um but yes his film credits include uh ali the insider time cop um my cousin Vinny, and ride along and ride along too did you not get the feeling that after he died the police lieutenant was kind of being adr by him that they sounded identical <laughs> i was like is that his brother um but yeah i don't know i think i don't know if this is these feel these i feel like these were the films that michael bay was watching when he was a film student because there's a lot of twilight shooting oh, la it, it, well, beautiful it, it, la you well, know that, 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 there is that absolute juxtaposition it goes from 
darkest blue rainy football to sun scorched LA where Bruce is asleep in his car and everything's bright orange. You're like, woo. But everything's like either, as you say, deepest, darkest night, or it's just the sun's about to go down or it's first thing in the morning. And it's yeah. like the whole film is shot in those areas. And it's why I don't think it was deliberate, but it's like the rest of us get up and go to work. And it's true. It's like these films happen when the rest of the world is working. Like, we work, we go to sleep, and when we're asleep, Bruce Willis and Damon Waynes are protecting the world from illegalized gambling. I'm not sure, but a serious threat. So let's let's talk about Damon Wayne. So I I thought it does get better, but I think his acting in his first few scenes is atrocious. Like it really uh, feels totally agree, totally agree. And I am sorry, but I'm gonna have to point the finger the director for this we've seen him in in living color we know he can deliver we can know he can deliver it live under pressure i feel like this was a bit of a um a diversion for him and he was probably a bit nervous and i put down his it is ropey but i mean was this shot linear in a linear fashion because it is his early scenes that are ropey and he gets better so yeah that- well that's it he does eventually i should say you know it's it's one of the the best bits of film he does it is a really good bickering odd couple dynamic that him and brucey have but it's funny that i've put even with three minutes of screen time you can see holly berry is going to be a star and you know she has a tiny role but she outacts damon waynes in in that initial club scene and obviously damon waynes does have some a little bit of heavy lifting you know a sad backstory but yeah, it just seems like that first meeting with Bruce Willis, it's just a little bit ropey. I felt he had too much baggage for mm. Damon. Um, Jimmy, Jimmy Dix, Jimmy Ricks. D- Jimmy Dix. Jimmy Dix. Uh, can we get enough dick jokes in this film? Maybe we're going to give a put Dick in yeah. one of the characters' names. So yeah, I felt he had too much because the fact that he, Million Dollar Arm, lost his career... Lost his son. No, but this is the thing. Lost his career because of gambling. It would have been different. That's the thing that jived with me because I felt like they were trying to tie it in with a grander plot and they didn't need to because imagine this. Because this is where it gets gets weird. It's like the fact that it was because of gambling didn't make – it didn't sit well with me. It would be much better if it was like he lost his job because of drinking because he lost his son. Yeah. That 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 was it. It was like that 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 would it just 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 yeah go with cut that. out that bit because they say oh yeah gambling and alleged drug abuse is like just how go many with the drug, go with the drug abuse. It's no, but it's just I don't see the two. No, but there's three things because it's like he lost his wife and he lost his wife and son in a car accident. Then he, but he also got hooked to drugs and he's also a gambler. So it's like there's these three things. It's like pick one or pick one as a result of the other. So. I felt that was too heavy-handed, and that, to me, what you were saying to earlier, stinks of rewrites. But but I do have a question, Charlie. Where can I buy Damon Wayne's little elf hat that he wears at the start? Oh, I I've actually it's... got in my notes. Let's talk about wardrobe. Of no, no, just Damon Wayne's. Nobody else. Everyone else is dressed so, like that. Should be nineteen ninety one. Early nineties. It's fabulous. He's like, he's like, it's like you've got everybody else is like. Yeah, we've seen Die Hard, we've seen Lethal Weapon, we know how to dress as a washed-up cop or a gangland or a hoodlum or even a mob boss. 
Damon Wayans has just stepped off Colour Me Bad video and he does not Oh, it's fabulous. It really He's is. He's wearing I say, a jacket with tassels at one point. Yeah, leather pants, jacket with tassels and a little nightcap. It's a little sort of elf cap that you... And then obviously he, he changes into his Diet Coke, little red uh, trilby type thing. I feel, and I mean no disrespect to him, that I felt that that was layering, that they were like, okay, his character needs more. Yeah, you know, because he needs I to be outrageous. Like, and I also think that this is, if we look back at our buddy cup genre, this is the Chris Rock, it's the zany char- buddy character. You know, you've got the the Bruce Willis doing the Brucey, what we love him for. And I think we can get onto this in a minute, or we can get onto it now. I love this film because it is Brucey. We talk about Fifth Element sometime. There mm. was a moment, there, there was a time in his career where later on in his career he did not deliver this is the moment where he's, as you say, one hind behind his back. He's delivering. And I think that has a lot. I, to cut a long story short, I think that's what the wardrobe's about, is that how do we make it believable that Damon Waynes can stand aside to Bruce Willis in this film? Give him a crazy wardrobe. Yeah. Um, Bruce Willis, uh, Joe Hallenbach's backstory. So... Obviously, he's talk, they talk about... He Secret saved, service. He saved, saved the, the president. Life. Just a is, really simple, it's a really simple backstory. Is it Jimmy Carter? Is it history's greatest monster? <laughs> it, it looks is, like a character who's made to... Is it actually Jimmy Carter or is it an actor who looks like Jimmy Carter? Well, we that's what know. I'm Maybe saying. Maybe our it, American listeners can tell us. Because it does look like Jimmy Carter. They never say Jimmy Carter, but I'm sure it looks like it's a Jimmy Carter lookalike. It's like, surely you could pick a president, better president than Jimmy Carter. He picked America's worst. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stinking of the Simpsons. But there's a lot of flashbacks. There's the, the fact is that there's, again, rewrites, whatever you want to blame. But, like, he's got two flashbacks. So there's the one with the senator beating the girl where he steps in Secret Service. And then there's the other flashback where he saves the president. So it's like, come even, on. Even I mean, what been, do you think? That- we've been told he saved the president. We still have to see it. Yeah, I know. But it's like. He's got two different flashback stories. It's like, what do you think this is? Bloodsport? Come on. I mean, yeah. But yeah, I do like the fact that they've they've tried to age up. Make him Brucey. look younger. Yeah, well, they're trying to make him look, him look younger in the, in the flashbacks by just having him clean shaven and a shorter haircut. And yeah, the, the fact that at one point, Brucey says, oh, I am very old. It's like, actually, you're looking pretty good there, Brucey. You've seen him at the <laughs> end when he's grown his hair out and he's yeah. obviously got the perfect life and he's got his daughter saying, yes, sir, which I'm sorry, but no matter how it's said, uh, if I ever see a teenage or any sort of child of any age saying, yes, sir, to their parents, all I think is fascism. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think it's a terrible, you should never have to refer to your parents like that. Um, so anyway, I, I just thought it was a very weird, but he looks amazing at the end of this. He's like refreshed. The scars are kind of dulled down, whatever, because he does look broken in this film. It's like, give me a sort of Bruce Willis diehard, but not too much diehard. Hmm. But at the end, he's grown his hair out because I remember you saying to me a number of times, George, in his later career, you were sad to see him just shave it off. Maybe it was the diehard four. It was like, because he still had hair, but he was like, no, nope, just going to. Well, apparently. Apparently, he is definitely he's wearing a piece in this. He's he's definitely wearing a hairpiece. And well, it's a lovely it's a lovely hairpiece. Look at like he's obviously walking in the footsteps of Sean Connery. Yeah, it's a lovely where, hairpiece. Where as I think it's a few it's a few years later. I think it's Die Hard with a Vengeance, which is ninety five, where he embraces the you know yes I'm I'm my hair is going. 
and then it just obviously recedes more and more. Um, so, uh, is there anything else you want to say before we look at what could have been? Um, for me, I just before we get into it, could have, would have, should have, what you were saying before about the whole Raymond Chandler noir, blah, blah, blah. I actually think, apart from the fucking fact that it's about American gambling and American football, for me, this is a good detective film. And I think that's why I like it, because you know I like my Bosch. For me, this is a L.A. detective story set in L.A., so it ticks a lot of boxes for me. I think it's good in those respects. So, um, yeah, enough. Yeah, I mean, I I think considering how... You know, all the reports that everyone says they hated working on it. And apparently it was really brought together in the edit. Uh, legendary editor Stuart Baird, who we've chatted about before on the podcast because he did use behind the edits on Superman, Lethal Weapon. He's basically um, Richard Donner's go-to editor. But he also brought Demolition Man together in the edit. And yeah, so I think they apparently they had... And Tony Scott, unsurprisingly, films a lot of footage. So... Apparently, it was a real job to bring it together into a coherent state. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think considering how disastrous some people are saying it was behind the scenes, it's I think it's still a perfectly decent action film. Yes, as you say, misogynistic, but that trademark Shane Black humor and that Joel Silver, Tony Scott action explosion sheen so yeah there's there's a lot to enjoy i I watched it the other night and i was like i'm probably gonna end up watching this in two halves and i sat through and watched the the whole thing i i ended up pouring myself a a whiskey and and it got stuck in just just so i could sort of you know get in the mindset of a washed up private eye yeah i mean you're talking about there's a lot of big actors there's a lot of big directors i'm sure there's other people that could have been considered for the role and i've got I've got Jeff and Celine who are asking that same question. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. So coulda, woulda, shoulda is where George enlightens us on actors, pretty much actors, but sometimes directors, um, who was considered, who was involved in the making of this movie but didn't get involved or got kicked out for whatever reason. I've got a few here. Uh, So in terms of directing duties, uh, apparently... John McTiernan, so director of of Die Hard and Predator. All I'm all I'm hearing is evil sleigh bells. Yeah, or <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Uh, John McTiernan declined to direct this film. In terms of the lead roles, apparently Jack Nicholson was first choice for Joe Hallenbach, which I can wow. see as as obviously. I mean, Jack would yeah, have been, been quite younger, but then he yeah. would have been in his fifties. But you know, it would have. This I is imagine, after you know, he's, Batman. After Batman, but he's obviously played. He's played Private Eyes in the past. You know, obviously Chinatown and the Two Jakes and and stuff like that. So I think he could pull off that that weary, hard drinking, cynical Private Eye. I think he he would smash it. But you know, it'll be he interesting could- to see how. Him trying to pull off some of the the you know diving around with two guns, going rah 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 rah. Well, no, the thing is, you say that, but I think he would give it his best. But I think he's that diverse an actor at that age. I would have loved to have seen him in the Marcone role. You could have made that role bigger. Like you could have combined the Marconi Marcone and Milo role and given it to Jack Nicholson. 
yeah. you know, the the owner. Yeah, that could have been interesting. That 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 I think um, maybe you still always need to have Milo, Bob, Gun, but I, yeah. I think or, or may, maybe combine. Uh, I don't know. I just I think. But I'm yeah, thinking, the, the guy I'm remembering plays, Nicholson as being older. I guess the guy who yeah. plays Marcone seems a bit of a like caricature, doesn't he? he seems a bit too larger than life. Like, oh, I'm I'm a bit Jackson. Oh. Yeah, I, um, I think he he sticks out. It's like um, I I think where we were at even back then with cinema i would have preferred a more alan rickman type villain for that role it's like i've bought this football team we need to make money we can make billions if we legalize gambling i think that would have been a better sell like a really short cropped well-spoken yeah or could have been a lady fuck this film needs a leading lady <laughs> you know, it could just just somebody who was like really business like, rather than yeah. well, you know, I offered them six million. I guess I'm just gonna have to kill them. So yeah, interestingly, for the role of again older for washed up football star Jimmy Dix, none other than Mad Mel Gibson. So he'd be the football player. Who would he be against? We've got Danny Glover. <laughs> well that's, that's Danny Glover is the detective and Mel Gibson is the washed up thing. Yep, shut well, up and take my money. Well it's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's interesting to think that obviously whether the the race card did come into play of or let's look at you know how successful is 48 hours and lethal weapon we've got to have that that black and white dynamic. And obviously you've got plenty of amazing black athletes and sports stars so it's it's not too much of a leap but it's interesting that mel gibson was again you i i imagine i always see mel gibson as older but i suppose if you were a washed up football star you could kind of get away with it well i mean i'd say definitely rather than uh say the black card definitely the race card is being played is that they wanted a black and white dynamic so yeah. that's interesting you're backing that up saying oh well it could be the footballer it could be the, it could be the, it could be the footballer i think i think they're pretty entertaining both ideas because this is a thought that did occur to me watching this film is because this comes from a place of love of all of the hardware that we've seen Damon Wayne's do and the Wayne's brothers generally in their comedy. But I was, I was questioning his decision because as you say, the first half of this role, he's like, so, so the second half of kind of comes into his own. So were there other actors considered for his role, which role were any of the roles locked in? You know, we're talking about actors that would be considered. Who was locked? Because I, I, I didn't know why, but I just assumed this was a Brucey film. Uh, well, it, I think it it was quite. It, I think he was, or or it definitely changed as soon as it became a Brucey film. Yeah, and I think I think that's it. I think obviously at this point, Joel Silver, who's who's producing it, uh, you know, had a very was very close. Well, obviously, he produced Lethal Weapon as well, so you, you imagine he can quickly pick up the 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 phone to to Mel Gibson as well but I think him and Bruce Willis at that time had a partnership but funnily enough uh it goes on to the the fallout of this film so Joel Silver I don't know if I don't think he worked ever worked again with Bruce Willis after this or Tony Scott and Charlie what would Tony Scott go on to make after this true romance and while we talked about the the Hollywood movie mogul that crops up in True Romance, could be it's supposed to be Joel Silver. Could yeah. be modelled on somebody. Lee. I, so now, now I'm starting to think of the character Lee from True Romance actually be 
shouting about the rewrites and all about and dealing with Bruce Willis and stuff. That 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 that's a film to be made. That's a fly in the wall sort of uh, Tropic Thunder film to be made mm. where Joel Silver's there. But yeah, I was well, all I was going to say in terms of mentioning True Romance is I don't think we would have had True Romance if he'd not learned yeah. the good and the bad on this film. Yeah, and I think that's it. So. Uh, I think yeah, Lee. Scott... <laughs> so yeah, I think Joel Silver did burn a few bridges on this. Oh, and one final coulda woulda shoulda because I have to mention it because it could have gone very differently. But apparently, Tony Scott wanted none other than Grace Jones to play the role of Corey. The you know, play... <laughs> there was somebody else I thought you might be talking about. No, Charlie, no. We just got crazy Grace. I, <laughs> I could be the girlfriend. Um, so, Grace, yes. So, is that it for coulda, woulda, shoulda? That, that's it for coulda, woulda, shoulda. So, yeah, I, I was just going to jump back to uh, box office. So, uh, I think this film did... Did average, I think so. It was a budget of around forty million, and then total worldwide gross of one hundred fourteen million. So, I think I heard that... it bombed. I, I thought maybe that's is that is that are you it, taking it, into it, account VHS rentals? Because I, I heard it, it underperformed. It underperformed given Brucey's star power and obviously the prize, the, the hype around Shane Black and and the hype around the film. I think it did underperform in that notion, but. I think it was um it, it did give Brucey and Joel Silver that sort of a bit of a boost that they needed. And yeah, I think it was a hit on video. But I'm just saying, yeah, I'm talking specifically about the numbers that you're talking about there. It's what we've seen that great cut of Matt Damon explaining yeah. about how the dynamics the, the, of yeah, the, the, home, the, the, the home video. That so much money was made on home video, it was included in the release figures. And I think that's what we're seeing here is that this film, you say, oh, well, it's only done so much in the theatres, but actually it'll probably wash its face when it gets on the video. Whereas now they're like, it's got to make it in yeah. its first year or wherever it goes out. Yeah. Um, okay. So where do we go now? Where do we go? Wow. Where do we go? Wow. Wow. Sorry, a Geffen Pictures just had to Well, actually, I, th- I would to, say to... we haven't talked about the soundtrack. Obviously, it's our good friend, Michael Kamen. And apparently even he says... No, hey, Michael he... Kamen, I don't know why you would assume that. Did you spot some of his other films in there? <laughs> it's the license to kill it's the lethal weapon it's the roadhouse it's all seeping through but even he says he hated this film and but he only did it as a favor to bruce willis and joel silver but um unlike maybe that's what this film's missing you i mean you've got the sort of gung-ho america football song at the start but maybe it is missing maybe a a Bruckheimer sassy pop song to tie it all together I feel like they, because they, what I, I mean, I've only read this recently because I was like, what the hell is that first scene all about? And it's like, oh, it's a satire on the whole TV thing about Friday night football's a good place. And you can tell that it's done in a sort of like homage satire of Bruce, Bruce of the of the boss, you know, yeah. of like Bruce Springsteen. It's, it is that sort of red, white, and blue thing. But, and the, it's it's funny to think that was it eighty when did we have Rocky Four? Was it eighty nine? Uh no, eighty-five. Shit. Wow. But it's that type of present that you know, the whole that whole presentation, we've got a big show going on, so let's have some glossy music and trumpets. Um 
But yeah, I, I feel like it was missing another number. And and this was something I guess it was there. There was yeah. there was there was um pop hit record links with films. So there wasn't one linked with this film. Really, no, no. But yeah, so I'll say in just in terms of final notes, I think in terms of Shane Black films or scripts, it's it's fairly low down the pecking order. It's I'd say it's mid-tier Brucey. Obviously he's done some like proper stinkers, action stinkers. I think he did striking distance was like a couple of years later that was which awesome. was the film where he's a boat cop with that's uh, that's striking distance that is yeah. boring and just dull really uh, dull and um, he's still he it's like he's john john mcclain on his pension and his wife's left him and he, he can't even get hard to a young uh what's it well, sarah jessica parker sarah jessica parker um uh, so yeah bruce he's done had more stinkers um obviously there there is i say in terms of um tony scott's career i think this is like lower tier tony scott but again his career towards the end wasn't like that great i mean obviously for me i think one of the best films he did was later in his career was man on fire um but i think that's his that's his portfolio piece for me uh Mm. this but i feel like this was training wheels true romance was him and Quentin, him working with a different writer, you know, like trying something different. Yeah. Him and Quentin, and Quentin obviously benefiting from that uh, Quentin Tarantino. And then yeah, Man on Fire, wow. Wow. Mm. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't know, is there anything else you want to, you think needs to be said? Um, but just, no, just talk. No. I, th- I think I think we've, 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 co- we've covered all the, the key points. I just think the last thing I'd like to say is, is full respect to Tony Scott, who's no longer with us. Yeah, I mean, what can we say? Just Top Gun. We've talked about it enough. It's he's made a lot of films that mean a lot to to both of us here. So yeah, yeah. It, it it does make me yeah, it does make miss me him. think. Yeah, I miss I do miss him yeah. because yeah, he, I miss he... what he could have done because I've just heard we've got Gladiator Two coming out, which is nuts. Well, that's that's Ridders. I mean, Ridders is still going. No, but I'm saying the fact that Ridley Scott's still going. I'm like, imagine if Tony Scott was still around. Like, imagine he would really be taking action, action crime dramas to another level. You know, that's that's well. I I I think that's why Man on Fire is so good because he was still innovating and trying to do different stuff, like the stuff that they do with the the subtitles and stuff like that. It's a really innovative. I mean, obviously, it's dated a bit since i watched it again recently but it's still brilliant piece of cinema i say that's one of his his high points i haven't i haven't watched it in a while have you seen that they have the complete cash grab they've done for equalizer three you mean the why is no one calling it equalizer that's my my uh you, you, you should you should work in the movie industry um for me i was really let down i loved the first one i was like it's the unofficial jack reacher film for me the first Equalizer yeah. film. The second one, apart from Pedro Pascal, was really meh. Um, so three Equalizer, but it, he's reuniting with uh, Dakota, Dakota Fanning. Fanning. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. I thought that was a good bit of casting. But yeah, I have i haven't heard, I think people saying it's okay. But um, so next up will be Halloween. So we, uh, I think we can reveal, we've talked about it long enough. We are going to do a horror classic John Carpenter's The Thing. So we're so back. We're doing Halloween. Uh, oh, so for Halloween, we're doing The Thing. Yeah. But 
I'm, I'm springing this on you because I think we should do a John Carpenter special on Patreon, as you and I have never watched it. We should do John Carpenter's Halloween. To be fair, I thought that's what you just said when you said we're doing Halloween. I was like, yeah, I know we're doing John Carpenter, but I know we're doing thing. I'm up for both, and I'm so, excited to watch Halloween because I've never watched it before. So, yeah, we're doing The Thing on the regular podcast, and we'll do uh, Halloween as a patron special. So, yeah, we've got that uh, coming up. I think we're going to have lots to say about The Thing. Obviously, no, it's a Kurt Russell film, but it's also probably my favourite horror film. So yes, definitely ever. my definitely my favorite. Uh, for me, it's a perfect marriage of horror and sci-fi. Um, about mm. Halloween and and uh, and Brucey, uh, not Brucey, uh, Kurt, Kurt, the the gorgeous Kurt with with and and also our um, Keith David, man. Puppet mm. Man. No, the, the oh, model. Ro- the, the... Oh, Rob Bottin, and uh, yes, the 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 marvelous uh, animatronic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So look forward to that, ladies and gentlemen. And with Halloween, we will try not to just talk about Jamie Lee Kurt's amazing assets. So um, I guess you know where to find us. We are wherever you're hearing this. We are also on the creaky old internet at retroramble.blog. Um, you can catch us on all of the social medias. Um, anything else, George? Anything else we need to plug before we sign off? No, just the usual. Thank you for listening. Leave us a review if, if you have the chance, because it, it does help us out in terms of being visible on these podcast platforms. Uh, or just tell a friend, recommend, uh, if you like what you hear, recommend Retro Ramble to a friend, a colleague, a pen pal. Technically speaking, you can just go on Apple Podcasts, hit review, click five star and type thanks and then save. Job done. So, uh, for this episode, I've been Charlie McGee. I've been George McGee. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.